First from the Old Testament, <clears throat> the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 15 through 18, which can be found on page 106 of your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And from the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, which can be found on page 896. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, Seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. Let us bow together for a moment of prayer. Gracious God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe 
that your word may truly be for us a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Every Sunday we gather for worship and we pray together, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I wonder, is that really how we want it to be? You would assume that we've prayed this prayer often enough so that we understand that there is a connection between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us. Jesus taught that there is this linkage about forgiveness. But still I wonder, is that what we really want? I know some people who equate being forgiven by God with walking down an aisle in a revival service or simply reading a prayer of confession from a bulletin, hearing a few words of pardon, and then assuming that that's all there is to it. But I wonder if forgiveness is really that easy. Are our sins against each other and against God all that serious? If we can be forgiven simply by taking a few steps down an aisle and having a preacher say a few words over us, or if we can just read some words from a bulletin, does our wrongdoing really matter to God? Well, our lesson from Matthew this morning calls us to take a, a deeper look at the terms of forgiveness, and it focuses on the link between being forgiven and being willing to forgive. This story of the unmerciful servant grew out of a question Peter asked of Jesus. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now I can imagine that Peter was kind of puffing out his chest and expecting Jesus to say some nice words to him about how generous he was offering to be. After all, he, what he was offering was much more than the law required. The, the, the law said, if a person wrongs you, you should forgive him three times. And Peter was willing to take the law's limit of three, multiply it by two, add one, and he was proud of being so generous. Well, it only took Jesus a moment to uncover Peter's self-deception and to point out to him that forgiveness really has nothing to do with the law or with mathematics. It's rather a matter of the heart and the spirit. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And then to illustrate this notion of extravagant, unlimited forgiveness, Jesus told a story. The main character in the story is a man who owed his king 10,000 talents. Now even one talent was an enormous debt 
equal to about 15 years wages for a day laborer. It would be millions of dollars in today's terms. It would, it would be utterly unpayable. This man could not live long enough or earn enough to be able to repay the debt. He had only one hope, and that was that the king would show some compassion on him and forgive him. And Jesus said, that's exactly what happened. The king's mercy saved this man and his family from being sold into slavery because that was the punishment for people who either could not or would not pay their debts. Now, why did Jesus choose a figure of 10,000 talents when probably a smaller number would have been sufficient? Well, I think he did it to focus the question on whether you and I can ever repay the debt we owe to God for God's goodness and mercy toward us. Is it possible for us ever to make good on all that we owe to God and on the debt that we incur by our sin against God's will and against the well-being of other people? You know, sometimes I think we, we tend to imagine that the effects of a sin here or here have run their course, that it's sort of like a lot of the athletes in college now, one and done. All is behind us. And then when we least expect it, the consequences surface again to cause more pain and hardship. We see it in personal relationships. We certainly see it in the affairs of nations. Sin and wrongdoing always seem to find ways to compound to continue to hurt, to defy undoing. So I think the figure of 10,000 talents is simply true to the facts of life. It shows the bankruptcy of our efforts to save ourselves, and it makes clear to us the measure of God's mercy toward us. The dictionary defines forgiveness in terms of giving up resentment, forsaking claim for a repayment of debt, laying aside demands for redress of grievances. But God's forgiveness of us is so much more than that. It is so much more than overcoming resentment or forsaking the demand for repayment or simply redressing grievances. God's forgiveness of us is a deep, wrenching sorrow that God feels over the mess that you and I make of our lives. It's a heartfelt compassion that leads God to get involved in making things right for us. Knowing that we cannot possibly save ourselves, God takes upon himself the suffering, the shame of our wrongdoing to heal our broken relationships with God and with each other. And the cost of God's involvement, the cost of it, is nothing less than the cross of God's own son. So you see, when Jesus uses this figure of 10,000 talents to describe this man's debt to his king, he did it to show us the price of the mercy of God. But the story continues. 
the forgiven debtor becomes a creditor himself. For there's a fellow servant who owes him about a hundred denarii, less than $25. And with a period of grace, it could easily be repaid. Problem is, there was no period of grace offered. This man who has been forgiven such an impossible debt is now unwilling to hear a fellow servant's plea for mercy. This one who has received mercy is refusing to show mercy in return, but chooses instead to have his friend thrown into prison. Clearly, he was a man who believed, as many of us do, that a person should pay his debts. You incur a debt, you pay it. That's what honorable people do. But what he failed to see was that he was trying to hold his friend to a standard that he himself could not possibly meet. And I confess to you my shame that I do that myself sometimes. I think many of us do. We, we tend to be more critical of others than we are of ourselves. We hold others to a standard that we ourselves cannot possibly satisfy. And you know how it is. A pretty serious fault in someone else's character is really nothing but just an interesting little personality quirk in us. And our, our neighbor's stinginess is just thrift and prudence and good judgment for us. And, and we all know people who concoct the wildest excuses imaginable for their shortcomings. But you and I have perfectly good reasons for the way we are. So on second thought, maybe we are not greatly different from this unmerciful servant. Maybe we do expect more of others than we expect of ourselves. And maybe, maybe we expect a greater measure of forgiveness from God for us than we are willing to offer to each other. And I think that gets to the heart of this parable where we learn that we cannot receive the forgiveness of God into our hearts and lives until and unless we are willing to forgive each other, until we are willing to welcome our friends and our neighbors under the same standard of mercy that we expect for ourselves. Now I know it is really hard, really hard. But I think Jesus was pretty clear about it because he said, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Suggesting to us that the, the inflow of the mercy of God to us is somehow determined by the outflow of our mercy toward each other. I think that's the message of this parable. And in the story, these other servants who've been watching all that's been going on have seen how brutally this man treated the small debtor after he had been forgiven such a great debt. 
And they reported the injustice to the king. And the king called his servant in and really laid him out. You wicked slave, he said. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And Jesus closes the story with a scene of unrelieved anguish, saying, so my heavenly Father will do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now please understand, this is not to suggest that our God is petty or vengeful. But it is to help us understand that our reluctance to show mercy to each other can indeed close the doors of our lives to the mercy of God toward us. And it tears apart the fabric of community by fracturing our relationships with each other. That's the essence of this story. God's forgiveness needs someone to receive it as well as it needs the God who forgives. And we can receive that forgiveness only when our hearts are predisposed to forgiveness, when we are open to the way God works. God stands at the door and knocks, seeking to enter our lives to grant us mercy and forgiveness, to make us whole, but an unforgiving spirit that harbors resentment, that bears grudges, remains indifferent to the Father's pleading and thus is its own worst enemy. One of my favorite books is called Amazing Grace. It's the story of how on October 2nd, 2006, around 10.30 in the morning, a heavily armed man named Charles Roberts entered an Amish school in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. He brutally murdered five of the students there, severely wounded five more before he took his own life. In the face of that atrocity, the parents of those school children and the entire Nickel Mines community responded with compassion and grace. First of all, they expressed forgiveness to the Roberts family. They shared generously with them the money that the community had received from all over this nation. They created a scholarship fund for Charles Roberts' children, and they sent money to the Gulf Coast to help with the relief of the victims of Hurricane Katrina. When the people of Nickel Mines were asked, how can you possibly forgive Charles Roberts and his family for this unspeakable tragedy? This is what they said. How can we not forgive? It is who we are. We have to forgive. We have to forgive him if we expect God to forgive us. 
Dr. George Buttrick was a much beloved preacher of our Presbyterian family of the last century. He once wrote, there was one who into earth's brackish waters of enmity and hatred poured a crimson flood to make them sweet. Never was any man more unjustly smitten. The world he loved drove nails into his hands and feet and placed a crown of thorns on his head. And still he prayed, Father, forgive them. We who are servants of Christ today are not above our master. We must forgive others as God has forgiven us. I know it's hard. It's terribly hard. But the people of Nickel Mines were right. It is who we are. It is who we are. Thanks be to God.